the life of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the Meccan period, by Imam Anwar al-Awlaqi. We'll move on to the next subject, and we're going to talk about some of the glad tidings of the coming of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, before the glad tidings that came before his prophethood. This hadith which is mentioned by Ibn Ishaq, he says, the one who is uh, stating this hadith is Salama bin Salam bin Waqsh. He said, we had a Jewish neighbor from Banu Abd al-Ashhal. And he came out of his house one day to us. At that time, I was the youngest of my household. I was wearing a fur gown, a fur gown I had, and was lying in it in the courtyard of my family's house. Uh, the Jew talked about the resurrection, the day of judgment, the reckoning, the scales, paradise, and hellfire. Uh, this he told to polytheists, idolaters, who did not believe in any life after death. They replied, come on, now you really think people can be sent after their death to some place where there is a paradise and a fire where they will be punished for their deeds? Yes, indeed, he replied. And by him by whom oaths are sworn, anyone going into that fire would prefer being placed in the hottest oven in the house and having it covered over him, and he being let out of it only next day. Then they said, good gracious, but what proof is there? They asked. Uh, he said, a prophet is being sent from the hereabouts in these lands. And he gestured uh, over towards Mecca and Yemen. When will we see him? They inquired. He looked over at me, I being the youngest one there, and he said, If this lad lives a normal lifespan, he'll live to this time. Salama said, And a day and a night had scarcely passed thereafter until God sent the messenger of Allah who lived among us. And so we believed in him. But he, the Jew, disbelieved in him out of evil and envy. So this Jewish man who was studied, he learned from his books, learned from the old scripture, that there is a prophet who will be sent from the direction of Mecca, and that there is hellfire and paradise. And he knew that the time was approaching, and it was very near. However, when the prophet was sent, this man refused to follow him, out of envy. And there are many narrations similar to this, of Jews knowing that the time of Muhammad sallallahu has approached. In fact, the Jews who were in Medina, as we mentioned, were there because they were expecting the Prophet. And that's the whole reason behind them settling in Medina. And they used to tell the Arabs of Medina, they used to tell them whenever they would have a dispute, that one day there is going to be a Prophet sent among us, and when that happens, we're going to kill you like the people of Ad were killed. And subhanAllah, that was a preparation for Al-Aus al-Khazraj. Because Al-Aus al-Khazraj used to hear this from the Jews. They were aware, unlike the other Arabs, they were aware that a Prophet is coming. So when they met Muhammad sallallahu in Mecca, they immediately believed. Because they knew that this was the person the Jews were talking about. In fact, what they said in that meeting, when they met with Rasulullah on the first day, they went back to their tents and they said, this is the man the Jews have been threatening us with. Let's follow him first. Let's be the first to follow him. Let's not let the Jews beat us to him. So they were in fact in a hurry to believe, because they wanted to be the first. 
But then Al-Yahud refused to follow Muhammad sallallahu We'll talk about some of the glad tidings of Muhammad sallallahu in the present day Bible. Obviously there's an ongoing, the Bible went through series of development and changes. So not all of the glad tidings that were there exist, but still there is a sufficient number in the Bible uh, that should be an, an indication to current day people of the book to follow the message of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. There is a verse in Deuteronomy, it's verse eighteen eighteen. This verse states, "I God." will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee Moses and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. Now this prophecy fits Muhammad وسلم, like a glove. Exactly. And it fits no one else. The verse starts by saying that I, God, will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren like unto thee, Moses. So Allah is saying that Allah will send a prophet who is like Moses. Now, who was the prophet who resembled Moses the most? Now the Christians claim that this is talking about Jesus. So let's see, who resembles Musa more? Muhammad wasallam or Isa? Number one, Moses had parents, Muhammad ﷺ had parents, while Isa had only a mother. So that's the first similarity between Musa and Muhammad, which is not shared by Isa, Jesus ﷺ. Number two, both Moses and Muhammad ﷺ had children, while Jesus never had any children. Number three, Moses was born in a natural way. Muhammad ﷺ was born in a natural way. While Isa ﷺ was born in a miraculous fashion. He was born without a father. Number four. Musa was accepted by his nation. And Muhammad ﷺ was accepted by his nation. While Jesus was rejected by his nation. So that's another resemblance. It says in the Bible, He, Jesus, came unto his own, but his own received him not. He was sent to the Jews and the Jews rejected him. While Musa was sent to the Jews and overall they accepted him. And Muhammad was sent to his people and they accepted him. Number five. Moses and Muhammad were kings or rulers. They were rulers on earth. While Isa السلام, was not. And when we say rulers, they had the power to inflict capital punishment. We know in our Sharia that only the Sultan can enforce hudud. Right? The hudud, which is the capital punishment and the other forms of punishment, cannot be done by a scholar or any Muslim. They have to be done by the Sultan, by the leader, by the ruler. Both Muhammad and Musa had that power. For example, with Musa, uh, it says there's an incident when the Jews brought before Musa uh, an Israelite who had been caught collecting firewood on the Sabbath. So Musa had him stoned to death. That's in Numbers 15.36. 
So Musa did stone a person to death. And Muhammad did apply punishment when the woman came to him uh, professing uh, adultery. But with Isa السلام, when they brought him a case of a crime, he refused to inflict punishment and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. I'm not a ruler here. And this is in John 18:36. So now we have uh, pointed out five similarities. Number six. Muhammad وسلم, came with a new law. The law of Quran. Musa السلام, came with a new law. And that's the law of the Torah. While Isa السلام, Jesus came to follow the law of Musa. السلام. He says in one verse, I came to follow the law jot by jot, dot by dot, letter by letter. And he also said in Matthew 5 uh, verse 17 and 18 Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you till heaven and earth pass one jot or one title shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. I came to fulfill the law of Musa salam. So these are six points of similarity. Number seven I mean, subhanAllah, the resemblance between Muhammad and Musa is striking. Musa has led his people in hijrah, in a mass exodus out of Egypt to the Holy Land. Muhammad has led his people in hijrah, while Isa has never left his land and never made hijrah. And one of the most important events to us Muslims in the history of Rasulullah was hijrah. And that's why it's the beginning of our calendar. That's where we start counting history from. So it's a very important event. And to the Jews, the hijrah of Bani Israel out of Egypt is a very important event to them. In fact, many of the celebrations are based on that event. So this is a very important point of similarity between Muhammad and Musa. Number seven. Both Musa and Muhammad were victorious against their enemies. Moses won against Fir'aun and Muhammad won against the ones who fought him. While Isa has never won in the worldly sense. He has never won in a battle in this world. In fact, the Christians believe that he was killed. This is not a, a belief that we share with them, but this is where they stand. So that's point number eight. Number nine. Musa died a natural death. Muhammad وسلم, died the natural death. The Christians believe that Jesus, he was killed. While the Muslims believe that he was elevated. So either way, it was not a natural death. Number 10. Both Musa السلام, and Muhammad وسلم, are buried in the ground. While the Christians believe Jesus was buried and then resurrected. While the Muslims believe he was never buried to start with. Number 11. Which is a similarity that we could bring up according to the Christian belief. Most Christians claim that Jesus is God. And the reason why we could use this as an evidence is because they are the ones who are claiming that Jesus is similar to Moses. So we can bring up the point, how do you believe that he is God? And then you say that he is similar to Musa who was a prophet. While the Muslims say that Muhammad was a prophet. Resemblance 
between them, now we're at number 12. When did Muhammad وسلم, become a prophet? At the age of 40. When did Musa السلام, become a prophet? At the age of 40. And that's stated in the Bible. And the Bible states that Isa, Jesus, peace be upon him, became a prophet at the age of 30. So Muhammad وسلم, and Musa were given prophethood at the same age. While Isa السلام, was given prophethood at a younger age. Point number 13. Christians claim that Jesus was resurrected after his death. Neither Muslims nor Christians claim that Musa or Muhammad وسلم, was resurrected. Therefore, Muhammad وسلم, is like Moses, but Jesus is unlike Moses. And we could go on with some further points. I think the point is made that the person who most resembled Moses السلام, is Muhammad وسلم. No one came after Musa السلام, who resembled him like Muhammad وسلم, by all standards. Now we talked about the similarity between this prophet and Moses, like unto thee. So let's look at other aspects of the prophecy. And now, since we have determined that Isa ibn Maryam, this prophecy does not apply to him, so who does it apply to then? Could it be someone else from among the Jews? Since Musa is giving a prophecy and he's speaking to the Jews, could it be someone other than Jesus? Well, he cannot be a Jew. The person whom this prophecy is talking about cannot be a Jew. Because it says in Deuteronomy 34.10 And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses. So this statement makes it clear that there would be no one among Bani Israel, the children of Israel, who is similar to Moses. Again, and there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses. So none, none of the prophets of Bani Israel is comparable to Moses. So who is it then? Well, the answer is right there in the prophecy. It says, prophet from among their brethren. So in the prophecy it also excludes the Jews. It says from among their brethren, the brethren of the Jews. So here we have a prophet from among the brethren of the Jews. And who are the brethren of the Jews? Actually there's only one nation that fulfills this description. And that is the Arabs. Why? Because Ibrahim السلام, had two sons. And two sons only. Ishaq and Ismail. Ishaq is the father of the Jews. Ismail is the father of the Arabs. Ishaq had Yaqub. And Yaqub is the father of the twelve tribes. So the Jews trace their ancestry to Ishaq. While the Arabs trace their ancestry to Ismail. So it's, it's very, this verse is very clear. I mean it says that here you have a prophet. Like Moses, and we saw the similarities between Muhammad وسلم, and Moses. And he is not a Jew, but he is from among the brethren of the Jews, which are the Arabs. And then the prophecy goes on to say, And will put my words in his mouth. So God is saying that I will put my words in his mouth. In other words, this prophet will not be speaking of his own but he will be speaking the words which are put in his mouth. And again, this fits 
exactly on the situation of Muhammad Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says وَمَا يَنطِقُ عَنِ الْهَوَىٰ Muhammad is not speaking from his own. He's not speaking from his own desire. He's speaking the words that are put in his mouth by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Jibreel is putting the words of Allah in the mouth of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And you have in Quran uh, many verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking. I am your Lord. Ana Allahu la ilaha illa ana. Ana rabbukum. I am your Lord. I am your God. And other verses. And the Quran, all of Quran, is the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala put in the mouth of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now, the Bible is different. Christians claim that the Bible was inspired by God. But the words are the words of men. And they admit that the Bible has many authors, many different authors. And the chapters of the Bible or the books of the Bible are named after these authors. So you have John, you have Matthew, you have Luke. So these are the names of the authors of these books. Uh, Dr. Graham Scroge of the Moody Bible Institute he says in his uh, book, uh, It is Human Yet Divine, he says, Yes, the Bible is human, although some out of zeal, which is not according to knowledge, have denied this. Those books have been passed through the minds of men, are written in the language of men, were penned by the hands of men, and bear in their style the characteristics of men. Quran is different. Quran is by Allah and Muhammad was only the one who was speaking it. But it is the words of Allah Azza wa Jal put in his mouth. The final part of the prophecy states that and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. Meaning he will not withhold any information. Everything that he is given he will speak it. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Quran, Ya ayyuha al-Rasul, balig ma unzila ilayka min rabbik, wa illam taf'al fama ballagta risalatah, wallahu ya'asimuka minan nas, inna allaha la yahdi al-qawma al-kafirin. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, O oh, Prophet of Allah, convey everything that you have received, and if you don't do so, then you have not conveyed the message. Meaning, if you only withhold one word that was given to you, you have not fulfilled your role. You have not fulfilled your responsibility. So everything that Muhammad ﷺ received, he delivered. Even when it was verses of Qur'an, criticizing an action of his. Like for example in Surah Abasa, when Rasulullah was speaking to the noble man from Quraysh and he ignored the blind man in Ibn Maktoum, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Abasa wa tawalla anja'ahu al-a'ma Words that are uh, criticizing that action of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And similar can be said about verses of Surah Al-Tahreem. Ya ayyuhan nabiyu lima tuhadzimu ma ahallallahu lak tabtaghi mabzata azwajik 
O Messenger of Allah, why are you making what is halal haram on yourself in order to please your wives? And one can go on in other examples. So Rasulullah conveyed everything that was given to him. So that's one uh, prophecy. We have another prophecy in Isaiah 29 verses 11 to 18. I'm not going to read the whole thing, I'm, I'm going to read part of it. And you determine what this is talking about. It's quite obvious, straightforward. It doesn't need any uh, interpretation or explanation. It says, And the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, Read this. And he says, I am not learned. Quite obvious. The book is delivered to a man who is unlettered, illiterate. And he is told, Read. And he responds back by saying, I cannot read. These are the exact words that were given by Jibreel السلام, to Muhammad السلام, in his first encounter with, Wahid, with Revelation. And we're going to notice here that the Bible is talking about the major events. Pretty much all of the major events that happened in the life of Muhammad السلام, are in the Bible. You have the first revelation. You have Hijrah. You have Ghazwat Badr. It talks about Fath Makkah. These are the major events in the life of Muhammad Sallallahu and they're all in the Bible. Now, again, the verse is, And the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he says, I am not learned. Now, the first verses revealed in Quran were, اقرأ باسم ربك الذي خلق خلق الإنسان من علق اقرأ وربك الأكرم الذي علم بالقلم علم الإنسان ما لم يعلم Read in the name of your Lord who created created man from cloth read and your Lord is the most bounteous who teaches by the pen, teaches man that which he knew not. What is even more interesting, if we would go back to the original, which is in Hebrew, the word read is qara. So if one would go back to the original Hebrew, it is the exact same word as Arabic. Qara. And it is spelled in English, the way it spells it in this book, Q-A-R-A, and it is pronounced Ka-Rao. The author of the book says, is it not amazing, is it not an amazing coincidence that the Hebrew text used not only a word with the same meaning, but the exact same word itself. The prophecy continues, and it states that before the time of this man who will receive the book, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. It says that the people would be forsaking the words of God for the precept of men. So it states that before the time of Muhammad وسلم, people would neglect the law of Allah and they would follow the law of man. And that is exactly what happened. Jesus, peace be upon him, came to fulfill the law of Moses. And then you have St. Paul coming in and telling them otherwise. So Jesus was circumcised. Paul says, no, you don't have to circumcise. 
Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law, letter by letter, jot by jot, word by word. Paul said, no, you do not have to fulfill the law. So they left the law of God and they followed the law of man, which is the fulfillment of this prophecy. I could uh, recite the whole uh, prophecy. It says, and the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed. So there's a sealed book. Which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, read this. And he says, I cannot, for it is sealed. So Quran was sealed. And even the learned men did not have access to it before Muhammad wasallam Because it was destined to go to the man who is unlearned. And the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, read this. And he says, I am not learned. Wherefore the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. So now the people are following the words of men. The hijrah is mentioned, is prophesied in Habakkuk 3, verse 3. It says, God, his guidance came from Timan, and the Holy One from Mount Paran. Salah, his glory, covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. So it says, his glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. It mentions two locations, Taman and Paran. Taman is, according to the J. Hastings Dictionary of the Bible, Taman is an oasis just north of Medina. So Taman stands for Medina. Tema, Taman would stand for Medina. It's a locality just north of Medina. Where is Paran? Paran and or Faran are Mecca. These are names of Mecca. And that is according to the Bible because the Bible states that Hajar and Ismail were left in Paran. And obviously we know where Hajar and Ismail were left. They were left in Mecca. So, the name Faran or Paran or Bakka are all different names of Mecca. So, you have God coming from Tinan, which is Medina. And you have the Holy One from Mount Paran. Where did Islam spread from? Islam spread from Medina. It did not spread from Mecca. When Rasulullah was making da'wah in Mecca, Islam was contained. The message was not spreading. The number of people who adopted it were very few. And Rasulullah left Mecca because of the restrictions placed on him. Because he was not allowed to preach the message. So the religion of Islam spread from Medina. That is when Islam went all over the world. So God came from Timan, meaning the guidance of Allah came from Medina. But then the verse goes on to say the Holy One came from Paran. So the Holy One, which is Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, came from Mecca. And then it states that his glory covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. And Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam, his name means praise and the earth today is full of his praise. And this cannot fit anyone more than Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam because there is not a single person in history who is praised more than Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So this prophecy 
fits the hijra exactly. Muhammad ﷺ making hijra from Mecca to Medina, his religion spreading from Medina, and the world is full of the praise of Muhammad ﷺ. In Deuteronomy 18:21-22, and if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? So here the Bible is telling us the acid test to know whether a man is speaking on behalf of God or not. How can we distinguish a liar from somebody who's telling the truth? It goes on to say, When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. But the prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him. If a prophet says something and claims that this is coming from Allah and it does not come to happen, then those words are not spoken by the prophet. Therefore, everything a prophet says will come to happen, will come to pass. Quran, which is the words of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala given to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, is proving to us Every day, new miracles, scientific miracles, showing the truth of the Qur'an. Now, there might have been scientific verses in other books that preceded Qur'an, that came to happen. But, you would also find in those books mistakes, because they are written by men. With Qur'an, Everything that it mentioned was proven to be true, and there are no contradictions in it, and nothing in Qur'an was proved to be false. So not only did Qur'an prophesize about things that will happen in the future, but Qur'an does not contain any errors in it. Because for example, out of pure coincidence and probability, a man uh, 2,000 years ago can go ahead and write predictions about the future, one could occur to be true, and then ten false. So we can't go and say, well, this man is receiving this information from God because it has one single thing that was mentioned in it, talking about the future. For it to be from God, then everything in it needs to be true. And that holds true to no book other than Al-Quran. There's nothing in the Quran that has been disproved, and that will never happen. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has challenged the people in Quran to produce anything similar to it, and the challenge is still open. And nobody has been able to face the challenge of Allah in Quran. The challenge started by producing a book similar to it. And then it was reduced to ten suwar, chapters, and then finally one chapter. Now the challenge is to produce one chapter similar to Quran. In Isaiah 21.7, he saw a vision. And he saw a chariot with a couple of horsemen, a chariot of asses, and a chariot of camels. Christians would say that the chariot of asses is Isa alayhi salam because he was the one who would ride a donkey. Who is the prophet who would ride a camel? Is there any other prophet who is known to ride a camel other than Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam? So this is a prophecy that is speaking about Jesus alayhi salam and Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Now, it continues to say in 29.9, And behold, here comes a chariot of men 
with a couple of horsemen. And he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And all the graven images of her gods he has broken unto the ground. Where is Babylon? In present day Iraq. Babylon is in Iraq. The prophecy is saying that this army will destroy all of the false gods of Babylon and will erase all of the images therein. Which army is that? Who is this army? Whose army is it that would go into Iraq and eliminate all of the idol worshipping and erase all of the images of idolatry that existed in Iraq? The only army that would fit this description is the army that was sent by Umar ibn Khattab to Iraq. And they have succeeded in opening Iraq and eliminating all of the false gods that existed therein. So this is another prophecy that has been fulfilled. Hijrah. In Isaiah 21 verse 14 and 15. Another reference to Hijrah. The inhabitants of the land of Taymat brought water to him that was thirsty. They prevented with their bread him that fled. For they fled from the swords, from the drawn sword, and from the bent bow, and from the grievousness of war. So Muhammad Wasallam made Hijrah. And the Ansar supported him with their bread. So this is also talking about Hijrah and the Ansar. In Isaiah 21 verses 16 to 17. For thus has the Lord said unto me, Within a year, according to the years of a hireling, And all the glory of Kedar shall fail, And the residue of the member of archers, The mighty men of the children of Qidar. It's actually Qidar shall be diminished, for the Lord God of Israel has spoken it. Who is Qidar? Or in English, Qidar. Who is that referring to? K-E-D-A-R. Well, let's let the Bible speak for itself. It states in Genesis 25:13, And these are the names of the sons of Ismail, by their names according to their generations. The firstborn of Ismail, Nebachoth, and Kedar, and Adbil, and Mibsam. So Kedar is one of the sons of Ismail. In the Bible, when it talks about the princes of Kedar, it is referring to the Arabs. Qidar. In Arabic it is Qidar. And the people of Quraysh are descendants of Qidar. Let's go back to the prophecy again. For thus has the Lord said unto me, within a year, according to the years of a hireling, and all the glory of Kedar shall fail, and the residue of the number of archers, the mighty men of the children of Kedar, shall be diminished, for the Lord God of Israel has spoken it. What is this referring to? We just spoke about Hijrah, right? In verse 14-15, we spoke about Hijrah. And how the Ansar helped Rasulullah Now we are in verse 16 and 17. What is the event that happened one year after Hijrah? And notice here that it says that the glory of Kedar shall fail, Quraysh. And the residue of the number of archers, the mighty men of the children of Kedar shall be diminished. They will be killed. What is this referring to? The battle of Badr. 
And the battle of Badr occurred in the second year of Hijrah. One year after the Hijrah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa So this is referring to the battle of Badr. And uh, it says that the mighty men of the children of Qidar shall be diminished. In the battle of Badr, the, one of the most decisive battles in the history of Islam, all of the leaders of Quraysh were killed. The leaders of Quraysh who were, who were the most brutal in their war against Islam were eliminated. Abu Jahl, Umayyah bin Khalaf, Uqba bin Abi Mu'ayr, and down the list one could go naming all of the names of the non-believers of Quraysh who died during the battle of Badr. In Isaiah 11 verses 1 and 2 And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse And a branch shall grow out of his roots And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him The spirit of wisdom and understanding The spirit of counsel and might The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord Who is Jesse? According to the Encyclopedia Biblica, Jesse for Ismail, Ismail. So Jesse is a contraction of Ismail. Uh, and then it goes on to say the changes which proper names undergo in the mouths of small children account for a large number of these particular abbreviations. Who could guess, to take modern examples, that Bob and Dick arose out of Robert and Richard? Such forms as in A were particularly common in later times and in many more in the Talmud which also exhibits various other kinds of abbreviation. So, uh, yeah, you have Bob standing for Robert. Wonder how small children would make that drastic change. But anyway, Jesse stands for Ismail, Ismail. So now that we know that Jesse is Ismail, let's revisit the verse. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, meaning from the descendants of Ismail. And a branch shall grow out of his roots, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. Now this prophecy cannot fit on anyone except Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa because he was the most prominent descendant of Ismail alayhi salam. Deuteronomy 33.1 And this is the blessing wherewith Moses, the man of God, blessed the children of Israel before his death. And he said, The Lord came from Sinai and rose up from Sair unto them. He shined forth from Mount Paran, and he came with ten thousands of saints, from his right hand went a fiery law for them. So now Musa is speaking to the children of Israel before his death. He's giving them a prophecy. He's saying that the Lord came from Sinai, Sina, rose up from Sair unto them. He shined forth from Mount Paran. Sina is where the message of Musa came from. So this is referring to himself, Sina. Sa'ir in Arabic, or S-E-I-R in English, Sa'ir, stands for Asa. 
the message of Isa because that is a series of mountains in Palestine, close to where Isa, Jesus peace be upon him, lived. So that is referring to Isa alayhi salam. Mount Paran again is Mecca. So it's talking about Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And this is similar to what was mentioned in Surah At-Teen. وَالتِّينِ وَالزَّيْتُونَ وَطُورِ سِنِينَ teen is figs. And figs is associated with Palestine. They grow a lot of figs. And then you have وَالتِّينِ وَالزَّيْتُونَ And also Zaytun, olives. So these are referring to Musa and Isa. وَطُورِ سِنِينَ is referring to the message of same thing, Isa and Musa alayhi salam. وَهَذَا الْبَلَدِ الْأَمِينَ مَكَّةِ So it's a pretty similar thing in Surah At-Teen. But with this prophecy here, Musa alayhi salam is talking about his message, how that's the beginning of a da'wah, and then Isa alayhi salam will carry it further, but then it will rise from Paran. Meaning the fulfillment of the message will come from Mecca. It goes on to say, and he came with 10,000 saints. Who are the 10,000 saints? When they opened Mecca, Mount Quran, Fath Mecca was done by 10,000. Rasulullah had 10,000 men with him when they opened Mecca. And from his right hand went a fiery law for them. And the right hand stands for truth, justice, and strength. The paraclete also stands for Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. There's a few verses in which this was mentioned. It's also sometimes translated as the comforter. In John 16, verses 7 to 14, it states, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come... He will reprove the world of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will shew you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and he shall shew it unto you. I'm not going to go into explaining all of this, but uh, I think the meaning is clear that this is referring to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So these are some of the prophecies mentioned about Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa in the Bible and some other events that happened during his mission. We're done with the pre-prophethood era and now inshallah ta'ala we can start with the prophethood. Sallallahu ala Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam Please proceed to the next CD.